Ah, oh, uh, <laughs> good evening and welcome to. I've got the giggles already. <laughs> uh, good evening and welcome to an have a beer, Gav. You do know we can't restart this. What the fuck? Sound, sound. I've got it in the bag. Uh, Wednesday, the 24th of January. Welcome to all the viewers. It's the Endless Sales Podcast. And we've actually introduced a, a new Wednesday episode. Um, it's called the Double Pivot episode. And we're happy to uh, expand the format of the, the, the weekly podcast numbers. Um, so that's where we are. Apologies for the giggles at the start. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Certainly not perfect. I don't know what happened there. Um, Stephen, can I like said just before we went live? How are you going to introduce the the, the episode tonight? I'm thinking, well, fuck, it's called the double pivot. I don't really know how to how to swing that one. But there you go. That's what it's called, the double pivot. And it's just about fuck. I don't really know what it's about, but we're just having fun talking football, talking Celtic, and everything and anything. Now, thankfully, thankfully, I need help tonight, as you can quite clearly see. But I've got Jed and Stephen on the wings. Guys, how you doing? Go ahead, Jed. I'm, I'm fine, Gavin. Looking forward to tonight. Um, I'm glad you're in the chair and not me. Because if, if, if I was in the chair, it'd just be empty. <laughs> so I'm glad you're doing it. I have to say, though, I have to say, that was probably the best false start I've ever seen on a podcast. I have no idea what happened, but <laughs> it was good crack. And look, like you said in the comments, Sam Fran Celtic is asking what the double pivot really means. It's just a play on words. We always talked about it as Celtic supporters could we have the double pivot in Europe, two sit midfielders. It's just a wee bit of a laugh in terms of the name, nothing too serious. But it's a, this podcast is generally about talking topics loosely based on Celtic and other things as well and in the comments get involved and let us know what you want to talk about and you can drive some of the conversation as well and look we're just kicking it off on the ground and, and Gavin's in the, the hot seat he had the toughest job in them all and he laughed his balance off at the start quality exactly well we don't take ourselves too seriously as you can obviously see um so tonight Wednesday what we're going to talk about I, I guess one of the the main topics is the winter break is over the serious stuff begins uh, we've got a leak to win so we're going to be talking about the remaining games of the season right in your first day this isn't a good start i know i know mate um the remaining games of the season and what our expectations are um we're going to be talking about um the the january transfer window now i know that that's a hot topic for a lot of the podcasts so it's difficult to kind of avoid sounding cliched with with that but we've only got three of us tonight so we're going to kind of get our unique perspective and how the january window has went so far I'm sure there'll be a bit of cynicism, there'll be a bit of optimism, but hopefully we'll have a wee bit of balance here. Of course, the January window is not yet over. Uh, we could get a surprise. Who knows? Who knows? Um, and apart from that, transfer rumours. Uh, we've had the, the Matt O'Reilly one today, which is shaking a few people to the core. So we'll get into it. Um, by the way, uh, before we actually talk about football, the weather recently, um, Jed, it's been absolutely crazy in Glasgow. You're something you're from Glasgow. Um, any fallen trees in your neck of the woods? Well, I'm in between Glasgow and Edinburgh, and last night I'm in my bed about half ten, and my, my phone goes. It was my daughter saying, "Dad, there's somebody at the front door." So I thought, right, okay. So I'm hanging out the window, and there's one of the neighbours that stays inside of me. He says, "There's a bit of your a bit of the roof came off." 
Oh, God. So I went out the back with the torch. It's absolutely chucking it down. And I thought, I can hardly see a thing. I went out today, and it's not as bad as I thought, but I'll still be, I will be able to get it fixed. But I can't sleep to wink because I thought the roof's going to come out. The roof's going to get turned off. Can I say something? I really hope for your neighbour's sake you weren't hanging out the window. I just hope for your neighbour's sake you weren't. No, I was. I was. No. Quite a tall window ledge, so he was fine. He never seen the wee man. It was fine. Oh, God. And uh, Stephen, are you quite safe across the water? Ah, it's It's the north of Ireland. We're never safe. Not village united, you know what I mean. But that's a, that's a different podcast. But in terms of weather, I, I live right beside the sea, and it was absolutely crazy. I go on walks like every evening, and I, I do a big long walk. And honestly, I really enjoyed it. The waves were literally hit me in the face. Just the, the just the water coming over the wall, and that probably shouldn't have done it. We bit of an idiot, like. But it wasn't that bad over here. Look, it's weather. I mean, get on with it. Get out and about, and just. Enjoy life. I mean, we're going to get these bizarre weathers every every year now. The storms are getting up. I mean, floods are more common. Like it's the way it's going to go. I just think we all have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to continue with those jokes, please, uh, for your own safety, wear like a, a life jacket. That would that would kind of make us feel comfortable in the future. Anyway, anyway, right. Back to the football. Um, so one of the main topics that I wanted to start us off with tonight was the business end of the season. Now, we've got 16 games remaining to win the league. We've had what could be described as a, a shaky start. After the security that Posacoglu left us with, Brendan Rodgers comes in. We've had a, a somewhat poor uh, recruitment in the summer. We've had injuries as well. Players who we bring in weren't as good as what we thought they would be. Uh, we've had th- th- there's been a few surprises. Uh, you can't. It's difficult to legislate for that, but we are where we are. If the rotten mob win all their games in hand, they'll be within two points of us. And Jed, I wanted to kind of start with yourself. Um, are you confident that we've perhaps turned a corner? Have we been? I think we've got what five games that we've won in a row now. Do you think that that's a, a good foundation for us to kind of propel ourselves into the remaining part of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I do. I do think we have turned the corner. I mean, if you look back at the Kilmarnock and the Hibs performance, the sorry, the Hearts performance was just horrendous. And ever since then, we haven't. We just, we just seem to have went through the gears. And I mean, I've been quite critical of Carl McGregor at the end of this, the beginning of the season, and I thought he was well off what his usual form because he has been so good. But you can see he's been starting to come back to the levels we're all used to and getting the, some of the players back as well, Abada, I mean, Burnaby's been fantastic coming in, so I'm very optimistic about, you know, the, the remainder of the season. But Is that we just, Bernardo that you meant rather than Burnaby? I'm a, oh, sorry, uh, Bernardo. Bernardo, yeah, I've been impressed. I've been impressed when he's come in. Um, and I do think there is a few players who is going to click for us, and I definitely put. He was one of the names I put down. I think McGregor is going to come to the front again. Abada. I just thought I know there's been you mate. I know I'm don't want to skip on because of the transfer rumours. Um, you just need hope there's 
the players that we want out are the guys who sadly get in the game, not the guys who I believe are f- first team starters. And I actually think Kyogo's going to have a good finish to the season as well. That's some good points. Um, certainly, um, uh, Calmac, uh, he, I think sometimes as a Celtic captain, um, in that number six role, it's sometimes we don't always appreciate what what um Calmac does. Um, but sometimes he does come in for flack. But I agree with you that he's really kind of came on in the last few games, showing quality um performances. A badder come, coming back, that's exciting as well. Um, Stephen, with yourself. Uh, um, Jed was talking about some of the, the kind of the results that we've had. Like we've we've lost points in five games. So in August we drew with St Johnson. Uh, in October we drew with Hibs. Again in November we drew with Motherwell. And then the two really bad results we get beat two one by Kilmarnock, where we got battered battered in the second half. And at Parkhead, uh, like a week later we get beat two 0 uh, by Hearts, which was. Uh, just a, a disturbing performance. Um, would you concur with the jet that we are kind of turning that corner? I mean, that hard game, we were actually over in um, Glasgow for the, the Kerry deal party thing, the Christmas party that we do. And we watched that game and it was absolutely horrendous. The, the, the atmosphere <coughs> at Celtic Park that day was horrendous. And I remember speaking to, to James when he came on the podcast about it because he was at the game. And he said it was like a poison chalice. That there was chance of sack the board and all that type of stuff. And, we were in a pretty dull moment there in terms of the team. I'm, I, I'm looking, like, the, the thing that gives me confidence, after that harsh defeat, we knew as a club we needed to go on a run of four to five wins and plus beat them as well. And that, that is just to maintain the title challenge and not let them get ahead of us in, in the league. That gives me confidence that we kicked on and done that because as, as a team, we speak about mentality and for me to show the right mentality to come through them running games with the victories that we needed. Do you think we've turned the corner? Not necessarily. I still think there's some bits of our game that really needs improved on. I think we can be really lackadaisical at times and we're not full throttle for 90 minutes. And look, we're, even under Postacoglu, we weren't really up, but we always had the job done when we started taking the foot off the pedal. And it just feels like under Rodgers, it's a bit more methodical, a bit more, I don't know, slower. I think we can maybe agree. And it just, it's just a fine line between a drop in a point again or losing again. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we're miles ahead. I don't think we've had a, a run of form that we're going to be 13, 14 games unbeaten. I don't think that's that's the case. But I certainly hope so because it's needed and we will be relying on other results, which I hate doing because I feel like we should be doing the job. But like you mentioned at the start there, Gavin, recruitment has a lot to play in that. We've brought in nine players and two, maybe Bernardo now you can include in that list that have made an impact on the team. And that's a good sign. If them players start bedding in, like Bernardo, Palma, even Home, who had a good game there at, at the weekend, if they start providing impacts and coming off the bench and being a difference difference maker instead of just their filling out the squad, then maybe we, we can keep that run of form going. Do you know what I mean? But I, I don't think necessarily we've turned the corner. We've definitely turned in terms of results in a good way, a good trajectory, but it needs to be done over a longer period of time. I feel like there's a lot of ups and downs this season. And the, the first part of the season for me was very underwhelming. I think a lot of people <clears throat> took heart that we got four points in the Champions League group. And look, that's fantastic. But again, for me, we should be aiming for further second there. We had the tools in place to do that. We had the money in the bank to enhance the squad, which we didn't do. 
And then the fact we got put out of the League Cup the first time asking. And again, it's a cup game. Anything can happen. But Kilmarnock have done it twice this, this season. <laughs> Do you know, that, that for me is not good enough. And we're fighting for a double. And it's obviously still on, but we have a long way to go. And regardless if people like it or not, we're in a title race. We shouldn't be in this position, but we are. And we'll have to take it and move forward. Yeah, David, can, uh, I, just, can I just say as well, I think what really has helped is having like the, the Green Brigade in that back for the home games because it was horrendous. I mean, because a lot of other fans were boycotting the game and mm-hmm. it was it was horrendous. It really was. And you've seen uh, the difference in the players and the crowd was when Everton was sorted out. Well, that's, that's coincided with us going on a wee win and run at home as well. So that, in my opinion, I think that's got a lot to do with getting the backing of the fans again. Because before then, like you said, Stephen, that Harps game was toxic. Absolutely toxic. Yeah, uh, it's a really, really good point. We, we spoke about that on the podcast, about the reasons why the Green Brigade were, were allowed back in. And whether you want to admit that, that the board buckled under the pressure, that they realised that we needed every swing and dick back in the stadium. And that's why they came back. For, for one reason or another, they're back and we really need that. It's kind of galvanised the players. And Stephen, what you spoke about, whenever you, you think back to the 16th of December, when we get beat by hearts, like it was toxic. Whenever you've got people standing up, shouting at the, the board, it was, it was a strange, strange atmosphere, strange scenes. And um, people were going away from that game thinking, what's next? So... To think that that was a, practically five weeks ago and now we're talking about have we turned that corner is maybe too too small a period to say. The, the advantage that we've had is with January, I know that some players have went away with their families abroad and stuff like that, but um, they've not been obviously like, um, holidaying in Dubai and stuff like that as a as a squad, mm. but you would imagine that Rodgers has had some time with the, the players on the on the field to implement, you know, the the, the coaching that he wants to do, which you can you kind of need to do um, whenever you've got the winter break anyway. Um, so hopefully, Brendan has been able to work with the guys. Uh, the guys have got some confidence back um, from from that five game winning run. And another thing, we won't really get into the Bucky Thistle game because we spoke about it in Monday, but the fact that we played a strong eleven because Brendan wants to keep that rhythm. That's another kind of key component for us going back into the, the next run of fixtures. Now, the remaining games between now and the end of February actually look quite difficult. Now, we've got Ross County, which is on paper uh, a fairly uh, easy one, um, if you can call any game easy, to kind of bed us back in. But on the 3rd of February, we're, we're away to Aberdeen. Uh, following week, we're away to Hibs. We've got Kelly at home. We're away to Motherwell. And then we've got Dundee. February is jam-packed and we need everybody to be on form. Um, so I'm optimistic that we can get ma- maximise the points from those games, but we really, really need to be on our game. So, Stephen, uh, to yourself, what players do you think, whether the the likely ones or whether the, the unfancied ones, who do you think will come to the fore in the remaining run-out between now and the end of the season? Well, for me, the, the most obvious one is, is Nicholas Kuhn. The January signing, the only January signing, I, sh- I may add. I'd be looking for him to come in and provide that spark straight away. Obviously, with the uncertainty of Avada's future, that that never seems to be ending right now. So 
Kuhn, I think, will have a big impact. There's numbers with Rapid Vienna at his season gone by there were, were quite good. I think he had over double figures assists and he had seven goals or something along them lines anyway. So it's a good return for a winger. Um, in, in regards to other players, I mean, Kyogo, I think that if the service improves to him, like we've seen in the weekend there with Abada playing them, them low-cut drives in from the right-hand side, which he's used to, that his goal return should increase. And I'll be actually looking forward to seeing O coming back from the Asian Games because mm-hmm. I, I, I do believe for me there's a player there and I think he does make an impact when he comes off the bench. And we've seen it in Europe, actually seen it in league games. He's very good at holding the ball up. He's very good at linking the play and he has that wee bit of explosive speed. He just needs to work on his finishing and I think he'll be an absolutely fantastic striker going forward. Um, defensively, scales he's been a rock and I've called for Naraki to come in ahead of him, but Fortunately enough, he's been playing beside him. And there's another player, I think, uh, Narosky's been brilliant since he's come back into the team. And you can see he reads the game really well. He's not the quickest, but he, his distribution is great. He's physical. He's not afraid of a challenge. We've seen that against them as well, against Razors. So there's a lot of players that need to kick on. Rio Atate, Sam Fran was saying, apparently had a fantastic game for Japan today. And they were all raving about him. So there's another guy that come back in at full fitness. I think that... People thought, thought the Asian Games for him would have been a negative, but I've seen it as a positive. Work his way up to match fitness, and when he comes back, he's ready to play games again. Do you know what I mean? He's ready to come into the starting 11. He's ready to come in off the bench and make an impact. And I think the training plus feature for Japan can only bode well for us. Um, but yeah, then Kuhn, Kyogo, O, Scalesy, and Rio, I think for me, will, will have a great impact in the, in the second half of the season. I think Hidati is an interesting one. I think he's barely kicked a ball for us this season. And when he's on for him, he's definitely one of our best players. He's by far the most creative player um, in the hoops. Uh, Jed, I'm quite excited to see if Hidati is given the faith by Rodgers because we know at the start of the season, I felt that he gave a wee kick up the arse to Hitati by putting him on the bench and playing Turnbull. And Turnbull had, I think, I think he had the man of match performance in that open game of the season. Um, but I feel that that was because he wanted to show Hitati, you can be like a great player, but you need to work at other things in your game. He's had a bit of time to think about that. He's had an injury. Uh, he's had a really good game for, for Japan today. He started it in a must-win game for Japan against um, Indonesia, uh, which they won, I think, 3-1. I may be making that yeah. as well. Yeah. They definitely won. Um, Jed, I'm particularly excited about Hitati. He's the one guy who can pivot. He's a great pivot in the in the midfield. Great at he's got a low centre of gravity, can receive the ball on the half turn and then just accelerate accelerate away from his markers and distribute the, the, the ball to whoever. I think he's the most exciting guy. However, we've seen Bernardo as well, who's come onto a game as you mentioned. Um, do you think that the the competition in the midfield could be quite crucial in terms of pushing us forward for the remaining part? Oh, I mean definitely, because let, let's be honest. Out of the three in the midfield, McGregor's nailed on to start and so's O'Reilly. So that's one position up, up for grabs. So at the moment, you know, you've got Holm, Bernardo and Atati coming back. If if all the three players were on form, it's got to be Atati. But I do think he's got to earn his place back in because I do, I do believe... Bernardo and I think Bernardo's took his chance brown since he came in. So uh, yeah, so he has. But listen, when Atati's on song, he makes the midfield tick. So he does. And I 
we just hope he's going to come back. Like mm-hmm. like Stephen mentioned there, out in the Asia Cup, let's get him get his confidence up again. If great game today, and let's let's hope we get the benefit of it when he comes back. But let, let's be honest as well. We we can't keep playing O'Reilly and McGregor in every game as well. So we're going to have to rotate the squad a bit. And that's a good sign where we have got the players. Like I say, Bernard, I thought, I'll be interesting to see how home plays. I mean, I thought he'd done well, but it was against Bucky. That's all due respect. But it's going to be interesting to see how he performs against better opposition. I, I think coming this weekend, he'll be dropped and McGregor will be back in. But we'll just need to wait and see on that one. I think for me as well, as, sorry, Gavin, I think for me as well, that you mentioned the McGregor and O'Reilly debate that we always seem to have and they can't play every game, which I totally agree with. I know it was against Bucky Fissel, but I think Brendan is actually toying with the idea of maybe resting McGregor here and there. If he trusts at home in the number six position, then you, you would assume going forward that maybe against the likes of, um, I don't know, a Dundee or Hibs or whatever at home, when you're going to have loads of the ball, he might be confident enough to take McGregor out of the team, put Thiago back in, and kind of rotate that position. I'm not saying every other game, but I'm saying maybe one out of four, you give McGregor a rest because he's he's an he's an absolute athlete. But it, you don't want him to break down totally. And you mentioned that the start of the season, he was totally off form in terms of in, ter- in terms of his running, in terms of reading the game, he was just off it completely. And obviously, over the Christmas period, he's come back on it. And he's back to his best, but you don't want to have them periods of indifference every every other month with him. Do you know what I mean? Because we know he's a consistent performer, he's our captain, but he does need a rest. And I think Rogers and you greatly mentioned it, Ted, with home coming in, the number six position could be him and McGregor's sure because unfortunately Awada has been injured, and it doesn't look like he was going to get much of a look in anyway and in, in, into the team. And Bernardo's come on the game, so it's even harder for him to even stake a claim to get on the bench. So I'm, I am generally intrigued that, 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 to see what the, the crack is with the the, the Thiago home and Cal McGregor situation, because I think it could be a good one for us going forward, providing him rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I was actually, during during uh, today where I was maybe working, I was listening to the, <laughs> the official Celtic podcast, and they were interviewing uh, John Hughes, um, the, the the 90s John Hughes, of course. And um, he was talking about the number six position. He was talking about Callum McGregor and how how people take it for granted what he does, that people who are playing that number six role, how it doesn't look eye-catching, but the, 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 the intelligence that you need, and you need to have a perfect first touch whenever you receive the ball. You've got people coming towards you, closing you down, and immediately you need to have a plan in your mind of what you're going to do next. Um, and I was thinking about that, and especially with uh, Odin Thiago Holmes' performance against Bucky Thistle, I think that's the position that he occupied for Valerenga, which uh, mm-hmm. which obviously kind of drew our attention uh, to that player, and that's why we, we bought him. And he got the opportunity in Cal McGregor's position um, the at the weekend, and it was it was interesting to see him do that. Uh, some people were saying, yeah, he, he needs to do more. Obviously, he's a young guy, but I think it goes to show that he, he's a, a technically a very astute. Uh, footballer, but we do take it for granted um, that 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 kind of um, that position in the middle of the park, where you've got the the full play ahead of you. You think it looks easy, but you know 
whenever you're actually playing the game, you need to be very, very methodical in what you're doing, having a plan in place, knowing exactly what you're going to do next, having maybe one or two options before you even receive the ball. Um, so it's an interesting one. Uh, another thing that you, you spoke about, the dilemma in the midfield with uh, Bernardo and um, and uh, Hitati coming back, that competition. It's ironic because a few weeks ago on this podcast, I was, I was talking about Bernardo and I was saying he's the grey man. I don't know what he does. But then a couple of weeks later, you know, he's banging in the goals, making assists, like playing some really sexy football. And you're thinking, right, OK, give the guy a couple of games and that's shot me up. That's great. I know that we've all got favourites, but it's great to have that dilemma. And that's what we need. Great competition. Now, moving on, we are going to speak about the, the January transfer window, but we're going to pause for that and go off course. Now, Jed, when I was last um, doing the, the hosting for this uh, podcast, I did a, a few quick fire questions and we started off on uh, Ross. Now, it's about roughly about 15 questions and it's just to, to kind of get your, your thoughts as a Celtic fan to see where you fit on the, the, the Celtic spectrum, okay? So it's just... Well, I'm definitely on the spectrum. <laughs> Aren't we all? Hey, after my intro tonight, laughing away like a madman, um, I'm definitely kind of a, a, a usual suspect for that sort of thing. So, whatever comes to, to mind, okay? And um, we'll, we'll try and kind of pick up a wee rhythm here. So, start off, what's your first Celtic memory? First Celtic memory was, I believe it was 1975, my dad took me a game and Jock's name was still the manager, and we played Air United on a Sunday. We went to, I think it was 2-1. Uh, that's my first memory of going to, going to the football. Excellent, excellent. Um, do you have a soft spot for a team other than Celtic? Uh, yeah, I, I like a few teams like to see them doing well. Uh, Barcelona, I've always liked Barcelona. I've, I've, I don't know if they've got a severe dislike for Real Madrid. And I've always liked Barcelona, especially... Where Pep was there, that was probably the best football I've ever seen. So, yeah, I enjoyed when Sky had Spanish football. I used to watch that at the weekend. Um, English teams, I mean, I don't mind any of the, the Liverpool or Everton. They don't, they don't bother me. You know, I don't, I, you know, but at the end of the day, as long as Celtic win, that's, what I, that's the main thing. I'm not going to lose sleep if anybody else gets beat. As long as Celtic win, that's that's, uh, that's a be-all be and end-all for me. Fair to us. Uh, the only non-football related question, what's your favourite movie? Oh, well, a few bit. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, uh, that's two in a row. Ross, Ross said that as well. Um, who was the toughest player to wear the hoops? The, oh. When I, when I, when I was really, really young, I used to love Johan Levelson. The big Icelandic player, but then more modern, more modern, 20 odd years ago, Bobo Baldi. Mm -hmm. Bobo Baldi, he uh, should have been a bouncer. So it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, which opposition player did you love to hate? Do you know, it's actually an ex Rangers player, uh, and he played for numerous clubs, Ray Wilkins. That guy could play with that guy could have played with a suit on. He was phenomenal midfielder. So yeah, he was yeah. Played for Chelsea as well, didn't he? Chelsea and had the, the, the fan. Everybody I've heard who's spoken about him said that he was a lovely, lovely guy, a gentleman yeah. off the park. Um 
wasted talent. Lee Griffiths. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That guy, what a natural finisher, but he, he, he just ran about with too many dafties. So he did, but what a finisher that guy was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what's the greatest Celtic captain in your lifetime? Go back, listen to the year, uh, Roy Aiken. Okay, feed the bell. Um, what's your lowest point as a Celtic fan? Oh God, there's been the the 90s before Fergus McCann came in was just horrendous. You know, and how the Celtics were changing all that got up. That was just terrible. I can always remember the... After McCann took that over, our first game was like, I'm sure, I hope somebody can, I'm positive it was against Aberdeen, our first game at home after Fergus McCann. And it was just a great relief because that was the biscuit tin mentality with the, the old board and everything like that. That was a bleak, bleak time for us, the early, the early 90s. It was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Francis Lennon, hero or villain? I th- I think he's got to be a hero for what 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 he done as a player and as a, as a manager. I know it's just it's just a pity it turned sour at the end, but what that guy had to go through personally as well. Um, but as a player, he was fantastic for the club. Yeah. So a a hero. Good man. Um, if you could bring back one historic Celtic player to complement the current team. Who would it be? Now, Ross went for Jota. So hopefully you'll get a longer memory than that. Who would you go for? You know, again, and some people will, will maybe shoot me for this. I'm going back to the 80s and the number seven. I love David Proven. They, he scored the goal, the free kick in the 1985 Centenary Cup final against Dundee United. My, that was my first cup, Scottish Cup final when me and my dad went. And that free kick will live with me forever. Mm, mm. And he had a beautiful perm as well. Yeah. Um, who exceeded expectations? Whether it be a manager or a player? Uh, did he a gap? Oh, what a shout, sir. Good shout. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you agree that the current board run our club well? Well, if you're looking from a financial point of view, they're running at 10 out of 10. If you're looking at for football, um, players, etc., five. Mm. Okay. Is James Forrest a Celtic legend? Yes, I think because when you look, I think is it 19 major trof- trophies he's got with us. I think, yeah, he's, he's going to have to go down as a, as a legend. The, okay. he's, a, he's been a one-club man, so yeah. We've got to give him the credit. Who's your childhood hero? So, 70s, mid-70s. I don't, honestly, I can't mind having any heroes. Uh, and golf-wise, because I play golf, Savvy. Fair so. Um Which Rangers player did you fear? Mark Haley. Mark Haley, huh? And in a game of life or death, 
Who would you play, Brown or Calmac? Hmm. Who would play? <laughs> <laughs> Brown. Brown. And final question: Which manager played the best brand of football at Parkhead? Um, two for me, and uh, Tommy Burns. Um, I think I remember we lost the league one season and we only got beat once. But then I thought the football, the f the first season, uh, Brendan Rodgers came in was phenomenal for me. But I'll I'll go for Burns just because. We were such, we were such a poor, so far behind Rudge at the time, but we had, I mean, the three amigos and things like that. So, yeah, I'll go for Burns. Excellent, excellent. Right, well, that concludes it. Thank you very much for that. Uh, that was good. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Um, a little yes. bit of housekeeping for the podcast. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. Thank you very much for your comments. So we've got plenty of people in house. I know that Stephen has kindly been bringing up everyone's comments. We've got so many people to name, but I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're all surviving these bloody storms. Um, Stephen, uh, moving on. Uh, Scott Brown appointed the Air United manager. Um, so he went away to, well, he left Celtic, went to, to Aberdeen. Um, mm -hmm. with Stephen Glass didn't quite work out there. Uh, the new manager came in. Brown wasn't part of his plans in a, a managerial capacity. Um, he went off to Fleetwood. Um, he he made his bones there. However, you know, it's a, it's a tough industry, and eventually he did get sacked. So he's going up to to Air United, uh, team up with McGeady, who I think is I don't know a director of football. McGeady is some sort mm -hmm. of kind of I think he's a player, but he's also in the the, the hierarchy as well. Um, so what do you make of uh, this next move for Scott Brown? Do you think it's a, a do or die? Uh, do you have expectations for him as a manager? Do you think he's got what it takes? Well, I mean, expectations is one thing, but reality is different, isn't it? I, I think for, for Brownie, the managers, the managers he's worked under, like Stephen Glass, uh, Neil Lennon, Brendan Rogers, uh, do you know what I mean? These are all top quality managers in, in their own right, and I think he's probably picked up things from each individual, and you always hear professional players or ex-professional sailors that they always get asked the cliche question: "Who was the best influence on you? What manager done the best training?" And they always give you the answer: "I take bits from everybody." But I think for Brownie, one thing you can tell, and I read a few kind of quotes from his interview, our first interview as our manager, is he wants a direct playing style. He wants to put his own imprint in that. He's got a vision already, and this early on in his management kind of cycle which is a good thing at Fleetwood to be fair he'd done well in his first season I think he was there 18 months in total he, he got them to like the fourth or fifth round in the FA Cup he one of his first signings was Sean Rooney I'm from St Johnson and he'd done quite well down there and then he was starting to use us for Montgomery for Boson Lawell players of them that caliber obviously not quite making our first team but we're making an impact at Fleetwood and as you said I mean the first management job is just about learning it's about learning about you as an individual. He's coming off a fantastic playing career. And I know he helped out at Aberdeen under Stephen Glass with the coaching side of things. They probably learned from him too because he's an upcoming, upcoming manager as well. So they're learning off each other. And he has your man Whittaker beside him. I know they're best of mates, regardless of Whittaker's background. Obviously, Brownie trusts him, which is good. He has an assistant manager there to kind of go with him in between jobs. And look, I wish him the best of luck. I thought it was quite funny. One of the... the 
journalist asked him, will Aidan McGeady be calling you Brownie? And he was like, most certainly not. <laughs> he won't be calling me Brownie. I think McGeady's there as a technical director. Probably some of that is to kind of give him a, a good wage packet under two, a player and a technical director. So, I mean, he'll be on still a, a good wage there. But, yeah, it's a good move for him. Or a decent club. They're, they're, they're in the championship. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure they've got a good playing budget, probably bigger than uh, Martindale's of Livingston, since he cries and cries about it all the time. But yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what he's doing, and I'd be quite interested to see who 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 he will take on loan from us because he's already mentioned it mm. that he's going to tap back into Celtic again. So there could be some young players, or maybe a partnership I struck up there to kind of feed our football club by Bernie's in charge to develop our players and also develop them as a team, and hopefully see them rise into the Premier League and, and what I mean the ultimate question is will he be a Celtic manager no one can say that for certainty no one can really put a pin on that and say yeah he will be it's the nostalgia of it it's the fact that he was so successful for us as a captain and all the things he'd done you have to earn them stripes I think Celtic Football Club has been known as job for the boys and we can't be handing out jobs willy-nilly and we've already got two Lawwells we've got two Desmonds and we had Lennon two times or three times, whatever it was, and like sometimes it's just best to see how he gets on. If he cuts his teeth and does a fantastic job at her and then moves on to another kind of middle-of-the-road club and do- continues that trajectory, then you never know down the line. But look, best of luck to him. Best of luck to our football club, and I'll be watching from afar to see how he gets on. Good points. Good, good response. Uh, Jed, we had... Um... Yeah, the one here from Graham Bell, convinced that Bruno does well at Ayr, that he will be the next Celtic manager. Um, Stephen spoke about jobs for the boys, how sometimes as Celtic fans, we, we do use that line because we, we do see it. Um, maybe there is a bit of wisdom behind it, why we're kind of reluctant um, for, for, for that to happen. It does seem kind of repetitious that, that Celtic don't have much imagination. We just go back to people who we've, we've worked with in the past. Um, you, you do see um, down the years, whenever there's been a managerial vacancy at Celtic, sometimes Celtic-minded managers come up in the media. People like, like Roy Keane, you know, um, uh, I know that Owen Coyle at one point, I know they never mm. played for Celtic, but he's a Celtic fan. I don't know if Paul Lambert was ever linked with the job, but Celtic-minded managers, you know. Um, how would you feel if... Scott Brown eventually, if it did well, yeah, maybe if he went to another club as well, and he did reasonably well as well, he enhanced his reputation. Do you think that sometimes if you that, that, that could work against you with the pressure of coming back? Like Neil Lennon, he'd done it twice, but he, he's an he's an animal for that type of pressure. Like he kind of thrives upon that. He spoke about it in, a, in an interview with the digressing whenever he, he got the, the death threats. Um, that kind of spurred him on. Um you know, it's difficult to be a Celtic player with a mentality-wise, but it's even more difficult to be a Celtic manager. Um, I think Brown has probably got that mentality, but do you think that sometimes the pressure can work against you with the expectations? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't... I don't think Brown can go from Air United to Celtic. I think, as Stephen mentioned, I think he needs to go to a bigger club. Um, so I've just seen that, yeah. Um I hope he does really well. I mean, I'm hoping he'll he'll maybe come to us and look to take a few players on loan. I mean, it's, it has worked well for the club in the past, giving players out on the loan. I mean, what about young Kelly? He came on at the weekend. You could put him out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Give him, what's his name? Um, McCarthy. We'll tell him, listen, we'll still pay his wages. Just take him. 
And I, I think a lot of managers, even from the SPL, will maybe trust Scott Brown if they give him some of their players, whether it be Aberdeen players, whether it be Habs players, whoever. I think they'll trust Scott Brown with them. I hope he does really well. Um, he certainly he's not shirking it. Um, so the proof in the proof of the pudding will be eaten. We just need to wait, wait and see how he does. But I, he needs to. He can't go from air to Celtic. He would need to go and do in the, either in the, another team in the Premier League and do well, a Habs or something, and win a cup with him or, or do something, do well in the league, get up to third or something like that. Because coming to Celtic, as as we all know, it's it's a different kettle of fish. The back, the 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 media would be on his back from day one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think as well, Gavin. <coughs> what I found interesting. First of all, I want to read Palm's comment in here. One hundred percent expectation cause you more pressure. Not only do you possibly have more expected from your performance, but you may also end up overestimating your capabilities, which is one hundred percent correct on that one, Palm. What I always found interesting about Brownie was when he was out of the Fleetwood job and there was uncertainty around Harry Kuehl. And eventually he's left and he's moved on to be a manager now, which is good. There was talk of him coming back in a coaching role. That, that was a story for weeks. It was going to be confirmed within 48 hours and all this. It was, it was never done. And then I remember Brownie mentioned that he was invited back to hand over the league trophy. I think it was Postacoglu's first season to McGregor yeah. and he thought better of it. I think Brownie knows himself that he can't just walk back into a position of power or a manager role at Celtic without going and earning his stripes. He seems, for me, from the outside anyway, to have his head screwed on. He's done well at Fleetwood. And look, let's be honest here, you very rarely hear of a, a manager from Fleetwood or from Oxford going and jumping up the leagues really quickly. They're projects. And the, obviously the board of directors obviously got frustrated and, and sacked them in the end. But 18 months is still a good kind of stint, especially in your first managerial job. And he's moving the air. And I, I, look, I'm not naive enough to believe or think that maybe conversations didn't take place between Rodgers and Brownie to see if he wanted to come on the coaching team. I think we all know he visited Lennox Town on multiple occasions to watch training, as did Charlie Mulgrew. But I think for, for Bernie himself, I think he would feel a bit brass neck to, to, to walk in and be a coach and your understudy McGregor's or his captain. So it could ruffle a few fellas. You, you don't know what's going on in the outside or in Bernie's head, but look, in years to come, like Jed said, if he even if he moves into an SPFL club, and I, I know uh, Michael Michael Ross said uh, Tommy Burns came from Killy, if he moved into like a Hibs in the future, or if he moved into I don't know, it could be in Aberdeen, and, and he done well with them, third place two years and into European football, then you could be like, ah, he's got something about him. But until until then, regardless of what he's done as a player, you, you can, we all know this, Gavin, the emotional side of things, the Celtic fans and even the board, sometimes that overshadows your decision making. I think you just have to be cold and, and kind of go with the go with the flow in this one and see how he does. Yeah. But also yeah. as well, guys, how how many of ex really good footballers have been on to be really good managers? There's not that many. Aye, well, you're talking about the golden generation with England, like, like Gerard Lampard, um, schools even had a failed attempt at Oldham, Neville, you know, in, in Spain. It's a difficult, difficult thing. Sometimes yeah. your expectation does work against you as Pam, like really, really um, uh, clearly kind of encapsulated. <clears throat> um, I was actually thinking about it, see when we were talking there, like Celtic managers who played for us and then came back to managers. And we've actually had a few, like, Lou McCarry came back, he was very young, um, 
Tommy Burns came back. He was very young. He was still in his late 30s. And Neil Lennon, I am, Tony Mowbray. I, I am sure that Neil Lennon came back in his late 30s as well. Um, quite an interesting one. And it's difficult to make that, that transition. Um, is there any, been any kind of, we were talking about it in the group chat. Apart from Neil Lennon, um, whether you, you, you like him or not as a manager, you know, he, he did have success with Celtic. Um, is there any other kind of uh, former Celtic managers who have successfully transitioned into the, the, the managerial game? Anybody that, that you guys can think of? Well, I think Jed said one. Re- regardless of how he done it, Tony Mowbray has proved he's a he's a decent manager of a decent level. So, I mean, I know he failed at, at Celtic, but he's managing, who is it now, Birmingham? I think he's at now. Yes, yes. Um, so he, he's managed to keep himself in English championship and he's done well with the clubs he's at. He's done well with Sunderland. I think he got them promoted mm-hmm. into, into the championship and obviously they've sacked him. But again, he's a manager of in his own right. You mentioned Neil Lennon and the question you posed to, to, to Ross, myself and, and Jed about him, is he a legend or is he a hero or a villain? He's, he's a hero. He, he done it as a player. He came back as a manager and he done it. And look, and I, to be fair, we're talking about Scott Brown. Neil Lennon came back I think he coached at Nottingham Forest for like was it five or so months or something, and oh, he, yeah. he's he's and he's been thrust in as a caretaker manager, and he he done well enough to to see see us through that season, and then take us into the next few years of success. So he he has to be a hero for what he done, and he, he's a successful manager. And look, I know outside of us, Hibbs, he was up for nearly three years. He he done quite well. The club over in Cyprus, I think he won a cup. So he won silverware abroad, which is something that that some managers struggle to do when they leave the, the kind of UK side of things when they're get, getting adapted to a new culture. So he's done it. Um, I'm trying to think here. Other, other... David Moyes. David, David Moyes. Moy- yeah, yeah. David 100%. He, he's, he's done well. I mean, I know that a lot of the West Ham fans are up in arms about him now, but I mean, he done well at Evan as well. Yeah, I mean, he was just, I mean, he was unfortunately went to Man United after Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, that's that was it. I mean, that was a poison chalice. So it was. And if for you, me, he, he he was the right the right choice at the wrong time. Yeah. For United. I, I believe that yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I think he would do better now. I think he would do better now. I mean he's he's won mm-hmm. a European if you look at ex Celtic players who have been on to be managers and have won at Europe, David Moyes, Kenny Douglas. That's really the only ones that can jump out. Hopefully, some of the people can maybe put up. Paul Lambert. He'd not. He never. He never won in Europe. Oh no! I, I thought. I, I thought we were talking about Celtic yeah. people who transitioned to the management. I know, like um, obviously, Douglas done it at Liverpool. He done it at Blackburn. Right, fair enough. He got a lot of money from Jack Walker at the time at Blackburn, but he still, he still done it. Um, David Moyes, like I say, he won that European trophy last season. So I think it's it, but there's not many really good players who have been on and became first class managers as well. Mm-hmm. I think as I think as well, you look at it as well. Sorry, Gavin. I always find it interesting, like Lampard, Gerrard, maybe Scholes to a lesser extent. I know he managed Oldham or something like that, and, and he failed. But these guys are when they when they're finished uh, playing. They do like their coaching badges, and then they're thrust into the top jobs, like Lampard, Chelsea. So I mean, and then you had Gerard going to the Rangers, ultimately failed. And what gives them the right? Because 
you look at some of the most successful managers in European football, their playing careers are basically next to none. I mean, you look at Arsene Wenger, yeah, you look at Arsene Wenger, you look at Jurgen Klopp, Jose Mourinho, I don't think played the high level. Um, Benitez. Benitez. Jose, Jose Mourinho was the interpreter for Bobby Robson at Barcelona. There you go. That's what a story in, in, in itself. And I think you always see, look, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but you see managers like, and hopefully people can understand what I mean, but you see managers like um, Benny McCarthy, for example, he's offered himself to every SPFL club and they've all said no. But then they, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, but he's managed, he's managed and stuff. But then you get the likes of the the kind of the, the managerial merry-go-round, and it's just the same names that are pumped out: Callum Davidson, Jim McIntyre, doing Jack Ross was was in the round of Scottish game for a while. And sometimes I think these uh, other na- foreign national coaches are kind of overlooked because someone did it here, but let's try them here if you get me, instead of thinking outside the box. And I think the the, the likes of Lampard and Gerrard, who is over. And what is El Atif Atifak or something in Saudi Arabia, and he's apparently doing really bad over there. So you're, he, they're all getting found out. And I, I like the comment. I can't remember who made it about Sunderland must be scratching their heads replacing Tony Mowbray with Michael Bain. That's shambles. I think these clubs these clubs react too much instead of seeing what could happen with the, the current management team in place. And then look look at Wayne Rooney. I know I'm going off again in another tangent. Look at Wayne Rooney. He he went from the American League. To Birmingham, like they were fifth or something in the championship, and then he got sacked after what ten or so games, and they're in the bottom half. Yeah, like the, the manager, of Birmingham, the manager of Birmingham was doing a fantastic job. I think it was Eustace or something like that. He gets binned because Wayne Rooney's a bigger name and a bigger attraction, more money, sponsorship deals, all that type of thing. But then again, Birmingham were going for promotion. Now they're fighting to stay in the leagues. It, it's crazy. Okay. Um. Uh, it's, I, I think with um, the, the more money injected into football, you know, um, the correlation with them, um, the with capitalism, you know, it's just it's so cutthroat, mm. and people are people are sacked after uh, a few weeks now. Um, I um, Alan stops. stops. Alan stops. And even even uh, John Hughes, who I was talking about earlier on, he won he won a Scottish Cup with uh, with uh, Inverness Caledonian Thistle, didn't he? Yeah, was it Inverness? Yeah. Uh, must have been, yeah. yeah, because he had Ryan Christie in his team. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's another one. He can't get a job anywhere. I don't, I don't know the reason why, but he can't get a job. I think it's just if your face fits. And like, like Scott Brown and, and Whitaker, who Whitaker, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, he's, he's magically got his hair grown back again. Um, they must have went into that interview and just spoken about, you know, the, the their ideas and, and, and with so much enthusiasm. And John Hughes, who knows the Scottish game inside out, you know, he's just probably seen as an old face. And and people people probably think, how will the fans respond to this new appointment? Will they will they come back in their numbers if we've got, uh, you know, like two young guys, two young up-and-coming guys in Whitaker and Brown? Or will they be excited about uh, John Yogi Hughes? And I guess, I guess that speaks volumes as well, unfortunately. But I think what's, what speaks volumes too, Gavin, as well, looking back to you, like John Hughes, his brand of football was, in the early 2000s upwards, was way way behind it, or ahead of its time in the Scottish League. He had Inverness playing silky football, and it was a Hibs he managed as well at one point. It was, yeah. yeah, and he had them playing good football. And then suddenly, 
he can't get a job anywhere. Now, if you're talking about a coach who knows how to coach the, the passing game, the pressing game, the, the, the high-flowing tempo, Yogi Hughes is it. So, I mean, I'm, by the way, I'm not disparaging Brown or, or Whittaker here, but I mean, like, if you, if you look at Greenick Morton, for example, Doogie Emery, what, what has he done to earn that job? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's absolute craziness. I just think sometimes clubs go for the easy option when there's experienced coaches out there who could do a far better job, like Yogi Hughes. And like, I mean, I don't know why he can't get a job, I don't know the reasons, but for me, he should be back in the game in some capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do agree. Uh, by the way, before I forget, before we move on and I forget, there was one comment from Celtic 88, and he pointed out uh, an interesting link. Uh, so James Forrest, obviously, he's from Ayrshire. If um, at the end of the season, you would imagine, it, it might be his final season at Celtic, and with um, Scott Brown going to Air United, if Scott Brown remains the gaffer um, in the in the new season, he might look to get James Forrest, bring him back to Ayrshire. An interesting link. You heard it here first, not from me, but from Celtic 88. So we'll see about that. Um, guys, uh, another um, kind of off-topic thing, but I wanted to do this. And on this day feature, um, now we're going back a very, very, very long time. Um, going back generations. On this day, so it is the, the 24th of January, 1891, 1891, a long, long time ago. And it was Sandy McMahon who made the Celtic debut. Now, whenever people like 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 this man is in the history books of Celtic, and I know that that will never be erased, but um, if people don't talk about it, then you're as good as dead, in my opinion. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but we should always remember our heroes. We've got an illustrious history um, for, for Celtic and we should remember these heroes, which is why I wanted to bring this up. And of course, it was the only kind of thing that I could actually go back in in history that happened on this particular day. So I'm happy that this one came up. So Sand McMahon is actually one of our top 10 goal scorers of all time. If you look at the list, he's actually number six. He scored more than Kenny Deglish and people like that. So number six, an all-time uh, top scorer. He got 171 goals and 217 appearances. Now, whatever you think of Celtic heroes who defined a particular era, a particular decade. You've got obviously Henrik Larson, you've got Jinky Johnson, you've got uh, uh, McGrory, Patsy Gallagher. But before all those guys, you had Sandy McMahon. And there was a quote here from uh, Willie Maley. He said that he was the best header of a ball I have ever seen. He could almost hold a high cross with his head and direct it with the greatest of ease, a terror to defences at corner kicks. Now, one particular thing which I read, which had me laughing, I, I, I don't know what the, the writer was talking about. He said, Sandy McMahon was actually, for, for a footballer, now this was back when football wasn't a professional game, but a lot of people never get paid for it. He said, he was a well-read man with a good knowledge of Shakespeare and Rabbi Burns' works. Some, this is the part which I find funny. Something that lent him respect from many quarters and in many ways it gave him a great advantage in developing his intelligence on the park. I just don't know how if you're able to recite a to be or not to be, that you're able to kind of take the ball past your man. I found that quite intriguing. But anyway, obviously he must have been a bit of a character back then. He wasn't just a working class man. He was obviously well read. I believe he came from the borders in Selkirk. But anyway, he's one of the first Celtic heroes and I just wanted to bring it up. Difficult, but we don't really have any memories of that. There's no really tales that we can reciprocate about this man, but I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Sandy McMahon made his debut and he scored a shitload of goals for Celtic. So there you go. Yeah. 
anyway anyway another topic that i wanted to bring up tonight was um the amount of wingers that we've got and i've i've titled it <laughs> bloated on the flanks but who gets the gig now when i was looking at the number of wingers i actually wrote we've got eight wingers and is it becoming farcical but when i wrote down all the wingers we've got i actually missed out one i forgot tilio but god knows what tilio is i'm sure that his his face is on a, a milk carton somewhere in the world but that actually makes it nine so it's no longer just becoming farcical it's beyond farcical we've got nine wingers on the books now don't ask me to write them all down again because i might forget one and make myself look stupid but at the start of the season you know was it last season we, we gave james forrest a new contract we never get rid of Mikey Johnson. Maybe Brendan Rogers wanted to uh, get a closer eye on uh, Mikey Johnson. So we kept some older faces, but then we've recruited more. We've brought in people like Yang. We've brought in people like Telio. And now we find ourselves in January saying, Christ, we need more wingers. Let's bring in this guy, Kuhn, who we do admittedly have high expectations for. So I, I don't know. It's it's becoming a bit of a, a laughing stock. Jed, have you ever known? something like this is becoming a bit of a comedy um what would you make of it and if you did have to pick like your two best wingers out of all the crowd there who would you go for uh, definitely a bother and at the moment the uh, palmer palmer and because i've not seen can yet well obviously we'll need to take that we'll need, we'll need to see how he fits in um but yeah, as it's a joke, the amount of wingers we've got. I mean, let's let's be honest. We could we could probably we could lose Tilio Johnson. Yang Yang said some good games, but he's still young. Is he worth keeping? Or, or to me, maybe put him out on loan. But definitely out out the wingers are now definitely Abada, Palmer. See how this new guy is, and Maeda just for. Just for the amount of running he does, he helps the defence better than any winger. Mm. Why do you think it is, though, that it's came to this point? Um, is it, well, whenever we bring in signings, we, as football fans, we tend to look at the the, the, the fingerprints of a particular signing. Is it, is, it a, is it a club signing? Is it a, a manager signing? Is it a Dermot Desmond signing? Um, is it a project guy? Is it someone who's ready to, to, to hit the ground running? Like, it's just, it's like a, a cocktail, you know, of different ideas and it's all clashing together. I don't know how it's, we came to this situation. It's definitely prospect science. Has to be. Has to be. Well, Mismanagement. The yeah, and then, you know, I mean, how much money have we actually spent? Take, take uh, the new guy, the new German out, out of the equation at the moment. Well, that... I can't remember how much we've actually spent on out and out wingers. It's not tens of millions, twenty million. It's not. So it's 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 a chance of taking. They're only to spend a million, million and a half pound on a prospect. And then if it works out well, we can sell them for ten million, fifteen million. And if it doesn't, it's only a million. I know it's only. People, I'm saying it's only a million, but that's it, I think a lot of them are prospects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't even thought of Hak Sabanovic yet. Thankfully, he's no, I forgot about him as well. Yeah, he would make it. He would make it ten. Stephen, um, out of all the wingers, uh, who for you represents true quality? 
Oh, God, Gavin. I mean, look, the, the case for Palma is there, right? But I can't, I can't hide my feelings. He doesn't quite do it for me. I know his numbers are great, but over a 90-minute game, he probably, if we're lucky, beats his man once, and that's usually cutting in, cutting inside. He doesn't have great pace. And people compare him to Haxabanovich. I can see that, t- to be honest. I, I think maybe Palma's a bit more elegant on the ball and sees a pass better. Palma, to me, is a playmaker. He's not a winger. If you can move him in one, then we can maybe possibly look at that in, in the new season coming. Not, not for now, obviously not. But Robert Davey, Palma, hold on, Michael Ross, Palma 9 associate goals. Uh, Robert Davey, Palma is a, a dud. I wouldn't say he's a dud, but like James here, he's the best of the bunch. It's, it's, it's a difficult one. And I know he's come in and he's technically replaced Jada and Jada excited people. He, his energy, his skills, his movement, his goals, his celebrations and, and things of that nature. Got everyone intrigued. It was like a story when you watch Jada play football and even on his social media channels, going into the Celtic bars and getting involved with the culture and things like that, which was great. Palma isn't that. And I don't think he ever will be. And I know what Jed said, we didn't spend Shed loads of money. I think he's around £3 million from his club in, in, in Greek football, which is still a kind of big chunk of change for Celtic to spend. We, we all know what they're like. He's the best of what we have. In, in terms of the, the other wingers, Yang, I would be maybe inclined to, to loan him to St Mirren to be, to be with Kwan. Maybe they can link up there to see if Yang can get a run on the team. Abada. The, the uncertainty again, but don't know if he's staying or going. There's rumours of loans, there's rumours of clubs being interested. So that one's up in the air. Nicholas Kuhn is the one I'm ha- hanging my hat on, to be honest. If I want him to come in and provide the spark, provide what we've been missing in the final third, the dynamism, the directness, the explosive speed, the skills, and from by all accounts that everyone have read up on and every, every clip I've looked at, he's that type of player. And Rogers has even said it himself. I think the only issue is his finishing. Yeah. But you even look at Rocco Fada, Gavin. He can play on the wings. We don't know his situation. I mean, that's a saga that's gone on forever. And he's only 18 years old. So I don't know what's going on with him either. It's, and Marco Tilio said he's the fittest he's ever been. And he can't get a look in. It's a, it's a strange situation. I think the balance of the team for me is off in the final third. The pro fitter signing isn't great. What we should have been looking for was people who can eliminate people. Can do it on both sides. Do you know I mean, can, can take him on on the inside, on the outside, get assists and goals. And it sounds a bit of a contradiction, the way I say it by Palma, because his numbers would laugh at me in the face. But I hope people can understand what I mean. I just don't think he he's quality. I think he's good enough for the SPFL level. And I know he scored in the Champions League. But again, if you take his whole game over 90 minutes, for me, he doesn't really do much. <laughs> That's just my opinion. And Abada coming back is a bright spark. But as I said, we don't know what's happening. Mieta, I'm, I'm, I'm glad Zed brought him up. His work rate's fantastic, but his overall play is hit and miss. We don't have a winger that's consistent. A winger that you can be like, boom, he's going to be on it every game. We paid X amount of money for him. He's going to score this amount of goals, blah, blah, blah. We don't have that quite yet. And that, that's obviously due to a mixture of things. Abada being injured because he was quite consistent the, se- the season before. Jada leaving. Palmer's coming into a new environment and things like that. But I just feel for me, the final third is off balance and Kyogo is really taking a hit for it, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Yeah, because we're not getting the ball through to him quick enough. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think Kyogo's numbers, it's not like Kyogo has got fat over the summer. Um, like I, I think he's the consummate professional. And, you know, he's not getting in the goals. He's not getting the amount of opportunities. I don't think he's getting the same opportunities as what he did last season. And, uh, well, what's happened? Uh, Abad has been injured. Uh, Jota's away. 25 million, man. And Maida, Maida's still there. Maida has still been getting the games. Um, however, since we brought in Palmer, Maida's went over to the right, who I, I don't think he's as effective on the right as what he is in the left. And saying that, like, if we're being honest, Maida, Maida's crossing is, is uh, can't, oh. can, can be horrendous. Can be horrendous. However, he has set up um, uh, Kyogo um, many times in the past, um, notably in a, in a, a Celtic and Rangers game. Like, I think Maida perfectly summed up the, the, the Posicoglu era. Now, I'm not suggesting by, by saying that, 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 that we rip it up. Um, eventually, you know, winning teams do have to get broken up and new ideas mean that new players will be coming in because even if you're still a good player, sometimes people's style doesn't fit um, the, the new manager's vision. That could be it with, with Maida, but I would still persevere with Maida on the left. Now, Stephen, you made a good point that, that Palma is his his pace really inhibits him on the wing. So maybe he is a playmaker. Um difficult though whenever you've got when you're playing a 4-3-3. I think the traditional number 10 that people like to talk about, um that was back in the the, the 90s and the, the noughties. Whenever teams are playing 4-4-2, or sorry, 4-3-3 nowadays, that number 10 position, that, that kind of typical playmaker, it's kind of vanished to an extent. Um, hmm. The I last really good number 10, Gavin, I think was Deco when he was at Porto and then he went to Chelsea. So I, was... That's a great point. Deco, brilliant player. Uh, one of my favourite, without <clears> digressing <throat> too much, but one of my favourite international tournaments was the 1994 World Cup. Speak about it all the time. And if you look at the list of number 10s in, in that tournament, you had you had Baggio, you had uh, uh, Haji, um um, you had Maradona as well. So many brilliant, brilliant number 10s um, in that tournament. And I think football has evolved in that if you're playing as a playmaker, you've got other responsibilities as well, yeah. but you have to track back um, as well. And uh, I think I think that, that like Raquel me, Raquel me is a brilliant example of a number 10, a playmaker. And the way that football is going right now, those type of players are kind of sidelined, and it's, it's kind of sad to see. But, but, but it's a game for athletes. It's a, it's a day where where people are demanding that, that you've got the legs to to contribute. Hey, Gavin, you look at it as well with Palma. We're, we're speaking about number tens and responsibilities. As a winger, his responsibility is to track back as well. And you see players all the time cracking up at him. Greg Taylor must have a sore throat by the end of a game because he's nonstop shouting at him and giving him direction and telling him to track back. And look. That obviously is going to get coaxed into Palma over time. But he's, he's just not quick enough to do it. And it's, if you're in Champions League level, I'm playing Mieta every day of the week on the left-hand side to do the tracking back. Because Palma, to me, is two to three yards off the pace for the top level. And look, that's no slight in Palma. Again, his numbers are great, but it's just the overall pitcher with him. And if he's like a pigeonhole in a bit, but it's it's just the overall pitcher I, I, I feel I can see that as a full package of a footballer, which we're, we're never going to be able to be in the financial position to sign. For me, he probably has the, the defining qualities of his, his dead ball, his he assist-making, and he scores the all-crack and goal. But if you look at the other main modern-day winger aspects of the game, 
track and back, fit, quick, stamina. He doesn't have that, in my opinion. And that, that's his downfall. As I said, when he when he's scoring goals and assisting, brilliant. But you need, as you said, Gavin, like the, the game's moved on so much that your players like Raquelme, Daco would be probably, not left to the side, but deemed that luxury player, the luxury player, not the not the guy who contributes to the team. And you look at Matt O'Reilly and, and Rio Atate, you wouldn't say none of them are out now tens. They can do both. The duality in the midfield, the track back and 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 box to box midfielders. That's where it's going as as football because the pressing game, the as Rogers used to say, the athlete side of things, and that is Palmer's downfall, in my opinion. That that that's where I see him not making the grade. Mm-hmm. There's a, a comment here from Paul McFarlane, and it's it's ridiculous, but it's accurate. Maida's quality shines when he tracks back, and I've I've actually heard someone describe Maida as a defensive forward, which is a, mm. a, a paradox, but. You, you know where he's coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ridiculous. But guys, do you not think he's all on the same note? Alistair, I mean, I had it wrote down how players that can improve in the, the, the last, the second half of the season, and I had Alistair Johnson down as well. Because I think he's missed Abada. Yeah. Because Abada would be chasing back where Yang and that haven't been. So Johnson's been trying to do the job of two players. So that's how I think he can be a big player. And it's, it is, I think as well, just the way modern football is, you know, years ago the wingers didn't defend. They just stayed out there. But now they're expected to get up and down, up and down. They need to be super fit. And I think uh, we have, that's how Taylor's, I think, struggled at times because <laughs> Maeda's not been playing all the time. But I think um, definitely Johnson has missed a badder. Yeah, uh, not not continuity. Even even like Greg Taylor with Maida, you know that that partnership has been broken up numerous times. And as you correctly say, Johnson has lost his his man on the right as well. Um, and whenever you, you lose those partnerships, because they've been playing with each other for two years under Postecoglou, whenever you take that away, like Taylor Taylor try to kind of work out Palmer's game. The amount of times that he's misplaced balls to Palmer because yeah. they're not the same wavelength. It's embarrassing. And and Taylor's the one who gets the flack for that. Correct. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it takes a while to kind of build up these these patterns. Um, and whenever you take it out, you disrupt it. Then people are going to get blamed. People are going to get scapegoated. And we've spoken about Taylor. We've spoken about Johnson. And another thing, whenever Ross on here has been defending Taylor, he's absolutely right in coming to Taylor's defence and saying people have not been criticising Johnson as much as what happened doing for Taylor. Um, he's right about that begrudgingly. I will admit that he's right about that. Um, Johnson is a player who I think will improve this season. Um, and I think Greg Taylor will as well. Yeah. I, I, I Ross's uh, head will be getting bigger after that. Um, Joe Hart, do you think Joe Hart will have a an assured... Um, by the way, I think this will be his last season for Celtic. Do you think he'll be uh, assured between now, or do you think Stephen is shaking his head? Do you think he's going to be a liability? Oh, oh my God! Uh, for me, he, he borderlines being a liability already, and that, that's no disrespect to him. I, I just think, I mean, the, the forward planning at this club at the minute is absolutely abysmal. If you can't see that Joe Hart is winding down to, towards the tail end of the last season, coming into the summer, look, I'll give him the bye ball. But you're in the January transfer window. How can you not get a, a, a keeper in? We, we talked about Faldo Marson. He's on, he's on his way to Brentford. 
for 2.5 million, doing his medical down, down in England right now as we speak. Do you know I mean? Brentford have a cracking scouting and recruitment team. So you can be kind of 90, 90% assured that that guy is going to be a good keeper with the with, with him. And we were linked with this guy. Why could we not have put a 2.5 million pound bid in and, and see what and seen what happened and, and maybe brought him in and give him the opportunity to be first choice next season, learn under Joe Hart for six months and, and kick on with his career? And I know there was rumours that we were in for a Romanian keeper. He went to Atletico Madrid. But as, as, a, as a supporter, we can see this. Like, how can like, you sit there as a, the chief recruitment officer or, or Brendan Rogers or even Law Wales to be like, ah, Joe will do. He's, he's good enough just for the league. And hopefully that will see us through. But in no way, shape or form, can he be our number one going into the next season. Not a hope. We've seen him so many times this season be slow to react, not commanding his area. His distribution has got even worse. Do you know what I mean? These are all the downfalls of obviously a long playing career and his own career winding down. And I'm not being disrespectful, but you can see it. And it feels like we're banging the same drum. We have got no understudy. See if Joe Hart gets injured, we're stuck with Bain. Bain's a Dundee keeper at best. Do you know what I mean? That's a shambles. We should never be in, in that position. And in, in the comments, people are going, Michael Ross. I mean, look, Hart for the, the eighth best shot stopper in the league. Uh, Michael Ross, Joe Hart is not good enough. Paul McFarland, Joe Hart was head and shoulders above everybody, but now he's all over the place like Dansroff. And Michael Ross, look, this might be a pad, like a way out there, but it could cost us a league. I, I don't rely on him at all. And, and look, he's made good saves, but he's a goalkeeper. It's his job to make saves. Do you know what I mean? It's his, it's his job. But and, and, it, it, oh, he, he just shouldn't be number one. That That's it. In his defence, Jed, before I come on to yourself, hopefully you've got a, a, a different opinion. Because, no, Stephen's right, and, and with a lot of what he says, I would say that Joe Hart is, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm scraping a barrel here, he's a top trainer, brilliant mentality, one of the best trainers in, in the squad. Um, without his leadership, we would be, it would be a bit of a, a void if we never had his leadership. Um and that's something to address for next season. But I do agree that we need to we need to buy in the summer. I, I don't see I don't see us bringing in a keeper worth worth his salt in the summer. Uh, sorry, I don't see us buying a keeper worth his salt in this winter break to sit on the bench to watch Joe Hart, thinking I'm better than him, I'm better than him, and then waiting until the summer before he goes. I think we have to do it in the summer. We've got Joe Hart until then. Uh, I think another thing that I think worrying though. Joe Hart when it comes to crosses um, like surely he never started off his career as a goalkeeper um, like being being afraid of like catching a cross <coughs> like maybe he, he was good at, good at that in his earlier career but maybe he's developed some sort of kind of PTSD during his career complex. and now he's afraid, now he's afraid. Yeah, yeah, did, did you say Belfast then? No complex Alright, I, I thought I said PTSD <laughs> you said Belfast <laughs> Well, that, that that could be associated. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Dark memories, but um, I I don't know if like he's changed his game and now he's he doesn't like to, to come for crosses. Surely he's not always been like that because he was one of the top goal, uh, goalkeepers in Europe. Jed, what's your thoughts on Joe Hart? Uh, can can we survive with him until the end of the season? I think we can. Do you disagree? I do think we can, but 
I think we're going to have to because I can't see us signing another keeper. Um, where I think Hart lets you sell down is some of the like the position they'll sense for free kick for corners, and and also just on the topic of conceding stupid, stupid goals. Yep. I wish I wish we would have fucking somebody on the back post. Something in the back post all the time. Because when Hart goes AWOL, there the headers going in. We need something in the back post. But we're going to be stuck with Hart. I just hope we get it. We get it right. The good thing is you can buy, you know, buying a, a normal footballer at 20, think, hey, sorry, 30, that's so Buying a goalkeeper at 30 is not old. We could have them for eight eight seasons. No problem. If, if they do well. But, yeah, we will not buy a keeper this when this January transfer window will be in the it will be in the summer. I just hope it I just hope the defence will take a lot of the pressure off him moving forward. I think if he stays too long, if he, if the un, unthinkable happens and they give him a, a contract extension, which oh I, God. I I refuse to believe would happen, but he'd be outstaying as welcome and like if you were to meet Joe Hart like five years down the line, like if he left right now in the summer, you'd be able to, to say thank you very much for everything that you did for my club. But if he stays for one more season, that'll be a different conversation that you will have with him on the street. I guarantee that. Um, so I guess that kind of is a good segue for the transfer rumours. Um, I've not heard anything. Have you guys heard anything about transfer rumours recently? What, incomings? I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, Matt O'Reilly, do you want to just... Get into, Get into it. Right, okay. So we did speak about this in the, the group chat earlier on today. Um, I think, Stephen, I've got a different viewpoint from you. So Atletico Madrid, the news is Atletico Madrid came in today. They put in a bid reported by Sky Sports. The proposal is uh, a loan with an obligation to buy. We don't know what figures has been bandied about. However, from our perspective, we think, with Celtic fans, we would never budge unless it was more than £25 million. My stance on it is, is that Matt O'Reilly is the player who swings the, the league success for us. If you take out Matt O'Reilly, then we might not win the league. It puts it in serious jeopardy. Now, on top of that, I would also put to you, when was the last time, well, I know that we're, we're cynical about the Celtic board, but when was the last time, despite their feelings, that they ripped out the heart of the team and said, here you go, we're halfway through this marathon, but you can leave us. When was the last time they did that? For all their feelings, for all their mismanagement, I don't think they're capable of that stupidity. And the final thing I would say is you will also agree that the board are very financially motivated. So if the bounty is £60 million by getting into the Champions League at the end of the season, why would they put that into jeopardy by snatching your hand off for perhaps £20 million, perhaps £25 million? Why would they take the, the, the short-term reward and lose track of the long-term reward by getting the Champions League. We sell them in... You still there, Ted? I'm, I'm here. What happened there? Seems like... Are you back in, Gav? You're back in. Here. Go, bam. Yeah. You froze it like Joe Hart in a corner. <laughs> Good one. Right, the other thing I was going to say about Matt O'Reilly is that's the only one who's batting their eyelids at him right now, Atletico Madrid. He can wait until the end of the, the, the season 
which he's having his best season in his, his career right now. Why would you why would you disrupt that? Play until the end of the season, win your double with Celtic, and then you've got a host of other admirers coming for you. He's getting the pick of the bunch. He might go to, down to England, where he's from. So I think from a player perspective, from a club perspective, from a fan perspective, the only people it suits right now is Atletico Madrid, and that's why I think it's it's not going to happen. Stephen, do you disagree? Well, Gav, you made the point, right? And I have to totally disagree with you on this one. You'll be surprised. You said the Celtic board won't commit an act of stupidity like sacrificing a long-term gain for a short-term advantage. I feel like that's what the Celtic board do year in, year out, to be honest. We scrape by in the league and get into the Champions League. And for me, this season won't be that. If you're... For me, you have to speculate the, the accumulate, right? So we're basically guaranteed a £60 million income next season in the Champions League if we win this SPL, which I, I still hope we do, and I still still believe we can, obviously. But the fact the Celtic board have sat on their hands with £72 million in the bank and not really backed the manager, as we all thought um, they would, for me, is a bit of like neglect on the board's part. So I absolutely do believe they would sacrifice sacrifice a long-term objection for a short-term gain, especially financially. If the obligation, if, the, if this deal is to be believed, it's a loan with the obligation to buy. And it's it's a bit like how we got Dyson from Japan. We, we took him on loan, but we had to buy him at the end of the season. And I, I know rumours today are coming out saying Celtic are in a strong position and they're not going to sell, which, which is fair enough. But I believe genuinely if the, the purchase or if the fee is above £25 million, then I think Celtic will accept it. And then the ball is in Matarelli's court. Matarelli is a smart guy. He's a smart individual. And I believe he would make the right choice anyway. His career tells me that leaving Fulham or getting released and training in a local park, getting the contract at MK Dons and, and ripping, it up, ripping it up in League One before he came to Celtic. And then obviously the success he's had with us. He's not going to take anything for granted. So anything will be considered, will be fought through, and he'll do it for him and, 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 the, and the best for his development. So that, that's, an, that's a separate issue. But to say for me the board wouldn't sacrifice it or wouldn't risk it, 100% the would, because the board are banking that Bernardo's going to be O'Reilly, in my opinion. And if we sold O'Reilly, you can bet, bet your arse the next day we would announce, announce Paolo Bernardo on a permanent contract from Benfica to kind of appease the fans. And, and pay that six million fee, whatever it is that we need to pay. If we sell Matt O'Reilly, if you think that the screams for sack the board are bad, it'll get a hundred percent worse. And the, the, the support is already divided. The support, as we rightly discussed in our hearts game, minus the Green Brigade and the boys group, was, was toxic and it was poison. And if, you, if we start getting negative results and we pick up a draw and we, we don't have O'Reilly, the, the fingers will start pointing again and it'll get 10 times worse than it was. And I, I don't understand where Rogers is coming from, to be fair. He's banging on about quality, banging on about this and banging on about that for, for recruitment, but nothing seems to be done. I, I don't know what's going on. And I think if we sell Matt O'Reilly in, in a, a long-winded answer here, Gavin, I do apologise. It would be yeah. nothing short of criminal. And I just I just think to say they even trust the board a bit in that aspect of things, that's way off the mark, in my opinion. 
Jed, that was a, a very, very honest answer from Stephen. It looks like he's kind of lost faith in the direction of the club if he thinks that that will happen. Um, what's your take on it? Well, I hope, first of all, I hope O'Reilly stays. But I think the board as well, they have, because we're a public limited company as well, Stephen's made a good point there. We're going to potentially getting £60 million should we win the league. So surely to look after the shareholders, that's the best option for the club. To keep Matt O'Reilly, what's the point of getting £25 million in and not getting the £60 million? Keep them and then we can sell them in the summer. Look, the ball is in their court. Even if Matt O'Reilly wants to go, the ball is in their court. Could turn around and say, no, you sign a new contract. We can let, we'll let you go in the summer, but you need to stay there now. And I, I just really hope that Matt O'Reilly, I do think he's enjoying his time here. He seems to be a very professional guy. And surely the board cannot be stupid enough to do this. Like Stephen said, oh, the, <laughs> toxic. Oh my God, it would be horrendous if they had to sell O'Reilly. So I just hope and pray that O'Reilly is here to the summer and then we can we can think about it then. Yeah. The other thing is, see, whenever we've made like these big sales um, for like Kieran Tierney, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Wanyama, Ayer, Edward, you know, there's a fairly long list. They've all been done at the right time. But I know that the board have have acted in a certain way over the years, which makes people lose trust. But they might be stupid, but I don't think that they're that stupid. They'd be shooting themselves in the foot if they, they hit the self-destruct button at the middle of the season, at the crunch point. We spoke about we're approaching the business end of the season. And for us to lose our, since we're on the double pivot episode, for us to lose our star quarterback, I'm sure that that's an American yeah. Yeah. I don't think that we're, we're going to do that. Um, but Stephen, obviously, you, you disagree, which is fair enough. We've all got our own opinions. But Gavin, Gavin, I mean, that's all well and good. Look, they might have made the right sales at the right time with Tierney, with Wanyama, the, the players you listed. But it's the next step. We never replaced these players. We've spent all the years trying to replace Tierney. And Greg Taylor does an adequate job, but he's not the same quality. Jada left for £25 million. We haven't replaced him with the same quality. So you look at that, yeah, they're going to recoup some amount of money for Matt O'Reilly, but my trust issue is they're not going to give the funds to the manager to replace O'Reilly with a like for like. They're they're not giving the, the, the manager funds to replace Shada with a like for like. And as Jed said, all for me, all they care about is a bank balance to show off. It's like, do you ever see, for example, you, you go to, I don't know, a relative's house and have all the, the fancy plates out and you know, I mean, all that type of stuff. Like, look at this, look at that. It's fantastic. We were in Dubai and all that type of stuff. And that's what it's, it's just showing off. We've got money sitting. We're not using it. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's always the next step. We never, I mean, we for me anyway, we should be light years ahead of Rangers. We do still. We've allowed them to catch up. And that, for me, is unforgivable. That's unforgivable. We've allowed that to happen. They're back in the league now. That's fair. It was always going to happen. But we should have kicked on. We should have improved as a club. Quality players in. Competed well in Europe. And our financial gains would have doubled. That's my my point here. A long-term goal with Celtic, there is none. There's no forward thinking. There's no forward planning. 
I get what you're saying, Gavin. We make the, the sale at the right time to recoup the money, but it goes absolutely nowhere. Can't disagree with you there. We don't we don't reinvest the funds like we should. I was watching another Celtic podcast uh, today or yesterday, and they spoke about you know financial fair play where you've got a lot of the, the big clubs in England who are getting um, spanked, you know, by by um, spending more than what they've got. And they made the joke that, that Celtic do the exact opposite. They should actually be punished for not spending the money that they've got. And, you know, we've got the money and it's just sitting there gaining interest. I don't know, going out to people's dividends if I've been cynical in that regard. But, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you in that. But that's a different type of fault. I just don't think. My, my, my main focus in as a, as, a, as a Celtic fan is this season, that, that, that we do everything that we can or that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot in order to secure the league this season. I think that's the most important thing. Um, but I agree with you. In the summer, we'll be geared up for further disappointment. We're, we always get disappointed in some regard every summer. Um, I, by the way, he's a quality player, isn't he, Matt O'Reilly? He's, I, I feel that the first, the first two years under, that's something we can agree upon. The first two years under Ange, like, he, he played a hell of a lot of games under Ange, but he was never the main man. Um, but... I think like from the opening game of the season, he really, really stood up. He plays with so much authority now. And, and mm-hmm. it must be great for like Callum McGregor to, to say, yes, he's one midfielder who I really enjoy playing with. Like Callum McGregor's probably played with a, a, a lot of wonderful midfielders during his time at Celtic. But Matt O'Reilly is right up there in the past 10 years. 10 years of all the midfielders that we've had. A very, very elegant player. Here's a midfield. Wanyama, Calmac, O'Reilly. That's deadly, isn't it? Oh. That's deadly. Oh, powerhouse in midfield and two ball players. Give me that any day of the week. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, right, okay, so apart from Matt O'Reilly, uh, which we'll be kind of at loggerheads about, but <coughs> we will find out. Jed, I'll make a bet with you, okay? A forfeit if Matt O'Reilly goes in this window. How about that? To, to be decided, but I'll make a forfeit. I, 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 I submit that Matt O'Reilly will not leave in January. Do you have the confidence? No, I'm going to go. He really won't go. I go. He will go. <laughs> okay. I think it's going. My my heart is telling me he's going. He's going to stay. I just hope to go. My it just dawned on me when when the two of us were talking. I, I don't know if it was Lawwell said a question was asked about the money in the bank, the seventy odd million, and he made the comment that's there in case we. We don't make Champions League, so it could it could sell them. In this, it could sell them. In I hope to God I don't. I'm trying not even to think of that because I will blow my top if he goes. Mm. No, uh, to Pam, I didn't mean anything as disastrous as forfeiting my place on the podcast. I just meant I don't know, like I don't know, like having to wear something funny in the podcast or something to be a bit more embarrassing than that. I don't know. I don't have the best imagination for for humiliating people. Not that Steve, I don't want to see humiliated. I don't want that to happen. What the fuck? Gavin, we leave that. Bring it on. Presenters on the show to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Okay. Okay. Uh. Okay. So apart from O'Reilly, uh, I guess there's been the rumor about Abada now. Do you actually believe the rumours about Abada? Now, it's came from Stephen McGowan, who has a, a, a decent reputation um, as a as a reporter. And the rumours is Abada 
um, clubs are circling. Um, you've got clubs from uh, France, from Germany, and three clubs from the English Championship. Some people are saying that with the current climate, that um, Abada is feeling the pressure to go out. And again, from, from some so, uh, supporters' perspectives, uh, I don't believe we need to keep... Thank you. Thank you very much. Some people are saying that there's this kind of agenda to force Abada out, which I don't want to believe. Um, I, th I think I would like to think that Abada will stay. So, you guys, are you reading into these rumours? Do you think there's malicious rumours behind it? Or do you think th th there's a bit of substance behind it? And uh, I guess do you think he'll go? Do you think he'll go on loan? Or do you think he might... Uh, what he try his future elsewhere? Or do you think he's genuinely, genuinely got a future at Celtic where he can do better? Stephen. I think I, I think probably the worst thing to happen about it during that whole period was he was injured. So he wasn't playing football. He wasn't training. He was probably with his family, obviously, and all that kind of stuff with the Israeli national coach coming out in the press. And that's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to go into the conflict and stuff. I think people are really clued up in the side that I would lean towards. But, I mean... <sighs> There is, for me, there is no smoke without fire. And the fact that these rumours haven't went the way tells me that there is something that, that's cooking underneath. Um, at the end of the day, no matter what walk of life, professional working life you're in, what industry you're in, entertainment, football, whatever, there's going to be people who don't agree with your religious outlook, who don't agree with whatever and you have to get on with that as a, as a human being you can't up and leave every time you disagree with something or you disagree with what's happening in and among the support and i think about should take heart from the fact that when he came onto the pitch against rangers he got the biggest cheer apart from the goal of of the of the day when he came back onto the pitch we all love him as a, as a celtic player we, we don't care if he if he plays for israel or if he plays for any other national team that that doesn't come into anyone's thinking no no way at all and i just think the media are being really facetious and really sneaky with the headlines they're putting out, with the wording that that they're putting out in, in there in the media. And see, to be honest with you, I think some of them, like media channels or journalists, should be punished because some of it is down. It's, it's a disgrace. Some of the things I mean, calling Celtic fans like anti-Semitic, all them, all that. It's it's incredible that these guys are allowed to get away from that. And again, as a club, I hope. Inside privately, the, the club is in a 40 or challenging these comments because they shouldn't go unpunished. They really shouldn't. It, it, it's demonizing the whole section of the community. It's demonizing a, a large chunk of society of people who support Celtic with that one thing. And Abada, of course, is human. We've, we've seen near, near Beton thrown out Instagram things when, when this all kicked off aimed towards Celtic supporters. And look, again, it's a heat of the moment and, and all that type of thing. But Abada needs to realize as well that no matter what club he goes to or where he thinks will be better, there's going to be someone in, in and among a big crowd that doesn't agree with his religious outlook or his take on things. It's just life. Do you know what I mean? It's life. You, you have to get on with it. You have to do your professional job as a footballer. And at the end of the day, if he wants to leave, fair enough. We can't do much about that. If he wants to explore other opportunities because of what's happened and, and what's been betrayed out in the press, we can't do anything about that because it's his own personal life, as his family life. And obviously, I hope the Israeli national team manager doesn't not play him because he plays for our club. That, to me, is a punishable offence. That's discrimination. <laughs> if you want to take all these all these walks and these inroads, do you know what I mean? But 
Leela Ball is a fantastic player. His numbers speak for themselves, and I hope we, we, we keep holding him. But I just think you, you asked, is there kind of things going on in the background there? I think the press are having an absolute field day with us, and every other day there's a new thing coming out about it. And it's absolutely disgusting that they're peddling this story day on, day in, day out, in, in my opinion. Oh. Must be a tough situation for uh, Abada. He's still a, a very young man, and I don't, I don't know if he speaks fluent English. It must be difficult for him coming over. Um, I think that he came over without his family to live in Scotland. Um, and he, he was warned, as Stephen rightly said, he was not not warned, but he was, you know, given given a lowdown by um, his uh, his countrymen, like near Beton and things like that. Um, so he knew what he was coming to. The fact that this has cropped up, it puts pressure on him for sure. It must be a very difficult time for him, but I think that if he was to come out of this, it will make him a stronger person. If mm. he was to leave Celtic during it, then I wonder if he might have regrets. Um, Jed, you said that for the remaining part of this season that you think Abada can play a big part. I guess another kind of part of that unfortunate narrative is the fact that Kuhn has came in, and some people are saying that Kuhn is going to be Abada's replacement, uh, which kind of strengthens the, the, the media agenda if you if you want to say that um so what do you think the future holds for for a badder well first of all as has a badder come out and said he's not happy about what the majority of celtic fans are saying now as a club and as me as an individual i'm certainly not anti-semitic at all because you disagree with what's going on over there does not mean that you're anti-israeli what it means is you're anti-israeli government there's a total difference to that. But Abada, he's, as a young guy, he could be getting pressure, but none of us know. So it's all this guessing. And Stephen says the press are jumping on it. They're jumping on it because he's a bloody good player. And if yep. we get, if, if he goes, it makes our team weaker. That's, that's the be-all and end-all. But if he feels he has to go because... His, be his beliefs means he can no longer play for the club. So be it is, he can go. I don't mm -hmm. want him to go, but it's, it's I mean, is he even a practising Jew? No one knows. No one knows because you, he keeps, you don't really see much of a badder in social media. He's not really one for posting, is he? So we don't know. We really don't That's know. That is really, really true. And uh, I perfectly, perfectly um, uh, summed up there. Um, as the kind of, for, for people who don't like what's happening, it's, for most people, it's it's about the, the government of Israeli um, yeah. rather than the actual nation itself or the the Israeli people. Um, guys, I actually thought of a wee thing. Uh, who am I? Um, this will piss you off. Um, because I made it really difficult. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who am I? A uh, former Celtic player. I have played in Scotland, England, Spain, Wales, and the Netherlands. Okay, move on. My club initially rejected a bid from Rangers manager Walter Smith, and I instead signed for Celtic for just over two million. What year? I'm not telling you who you are. Um, <laughs> what? 
in the last 15 years. And he's played where? He's played in Scotland, England, Spain, Wales, and the Netherlands. In that order? Joe Ledley? I jumbled it up to fuck with you. Is it Joe Ledley? Uh, no, <laughs> it's not. No, it's not. Uh, we actually got Joe Ledley on a Bosman, actually, I believe. Uh, so for this guy, we spent over £2 million. Pounds. And he played in um, Wheels? Say that name again, please. Wheels? <laughs> yes, yes, he played in Wheels, yeah. Gavin Carras, was he a right back? Uh, no, he was not a right back. No. Um, Hold on. Are we all about the Wales League? Are you all about Welsh teams? <laughs> oh, you slimy <laughs> bastard. <man. laughs> wow. I, I couldn't even uh, name any proper Welsh teams in the Welsh League. I couldn't. Right, so it's, 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 um, it's Welsh teams in the English Pyramid. Could be. It could be. You're an absolute dick. Yeah. Um, I'm an FA Cup runner-up, and I also oh, won. Man. I won all the available domestic honours in Scotland, and I've got two international caps. Mm, my God! We've got a Brown Warrior coming in with Thomas Aronia. Not correct. Not correct. You know what's actually interesting? Now I looked in his <sighs> Wikipedia. It said in the Wikipedia he's got a UEFA Cup winner's medal. And I'm like, hmm, that's quite an accolade. I looked at it. He wasn't in the squad. He made his professional debut for the team who won the UEFA Cup in that year. He played about eight appearances, but he was not in the squad. However, his team did win the UEFA Cup in his debut senior season. I've not got a clue. Is it Glenn Leuvens? James Pullen? Is that ever James? Yeah. Do you think? Is it Glenn? Yeah, oh Glenn. my God! Wow. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go Glenn Levens like James. Yeah, yeah, it's Glenn Levens. Uh huh, uh huh. Um, I don't agree. Thanks, James. Did you know that his former teammates included Aaron Ramsey? So he won. He was the the runner up in the FA Cup for Cardiff. So he played yeah. with Aaron Ramsey. Um, he played with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in that team as well. And in his first ever club, it was uh, Fienaert, he played with Robin Van Persie. And you know what the sad thing is? He played with Celtic for four seasons, but he only won the league once. I think that's when they had their, their three-in-a-row stint. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the second uh, time around for Walter Smith. Um, so, I there you go. There you go. James, well done. Well done. Uh, the UEFA Cup team was Fienaert, um, but he never actually uh, made his European debut in that, that game, in that um, season. Uh, so, there you go. Um, uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Right, okay. Do you have a baller of the week? Um, I was going to suggest one. It's probably not... An interesting one, but I was going to go for Rocco Vata, and it's because he got his first ever goal for Celtic. I know that his dad has been in the news recently um, on a, a podcast, and he was kind of like giving like, mixed messages about Rocco wanting to play abroad, and Rocco Vata saying, no, stay here. Um, I don't know. And he was wearing this black turtleneck, which looked really suspicious. I don't, I don't, 
don't quite trust him. But Rocco Vata, he scored his, uh, his, uh, his first goal for Celtic in the, the, the game against Bucky Thistle. Well, weirdly enough, he was playing as a as a, a replacement for Kyogo, a centre-forward. Um, I don't know what his future holds. Darno Day actually tweeted, um, well done, Rocco, the first of many senior goals. I was wondering if he was going to say the first of many Celtic goals for you, but he's a senior and kind of left it open there, so maybe he knows something that we don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I wanted to say baller of the week, Rocco Vata, not that the fact that he had a great game. He just kicked it in the back of the net. It was on a plate from by Mikey Johnson. Mikey Johnson did most of the work, but Scoring a goal for Celtic is a big, massive thing. Whenever you go through the ranks and you're eventually given your your, your, your chance and you convert, whatever <clears> happens, whatever <throat> goes in life, you'll always be able to remember that. Um, so I was going to go for Rocco Vata. Maybe you guys have got something more original. I'm going to go for Olden Thiago home as my bother of the week. Just because I like seeing him, that's and he done anything fantastically well. But what I did see of him, <laughs> he, he he passed it well. He he recouped the ball. He kept possession. He kept it ticking, much like Calmac does. But obviously Calmac's on a different level. So it was just good seeing him playing again in, in the hoops, and hopefully he can kick on and, and make an impact. Whether at starting games or coming off uh, from the bench with a uh, twenty or so minutes to go. But yeah, no, I like seeing Odin Thiago home in, in the lineup, and I thought he did quite well. Also wearing black boots, which catches my eye. I like players who wear black boots. So. Do you think? Do you, do you like the kind of the old traditional um, look that has about like black boots? Yeah, it's, a, it's it's yeah, it's like when when you played like FIFA back in the day, like two thousand and three. Only the good players had like Adidas Predators and stuff like that, but the rest of the generic players had all black boots. That's what it reminded me of. But Olin Tago home was he was good, and again, as I said, he just caught me eye. And um. Again, let's see if you were a player and you were wearing black boots, what about your socks? Would you have the socks over your knees or would you have them down to the ankles? What what would be your thing? Would you have like long sleeves? Halfway up my shin. Halfway up my shin. Great. <laughs> long sleeves or short sleeves? Short, short. I hate long sleeve. Gee, oh, hate it. And no gloves, no? No, mate, no chance. I live over here wearing gloves unless I'm going to rob something. I'm not going to wear gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that, by the way. It's just a joke. But yeah. That's a previous chapter in your life. Uh, Jed, what? <laughs> baller of the week. Well, Gavin, can I be greedy? Can I have a baller and a ball bag? Mate, go ahead. You can have as many ball bags as you want of the week. Right. I was I was thinking out the box a wee bit. I was trying to like, I'm not going to go for a footballer. Both are football related. The baller of the week, I'm actually going to give to the Bucky Thistle fans. You know, mm. they, they put a lot of other clubs to shame, the many people they brought down. So, well done to them. You know, fantastic. Um, they came down and hopefully they all enjoyed the experience. I know they got the good beat, but hopefully they enjoyed their experience and the money they'll get out of it will help the club for the next few seasons. And the ball back of the week, again, football related, as a guy getting confused with a football team getting named after an alcoholic drink. <laughs> so the ball back of the week will be going to my co-host here, Stephen, who thought <laughs> Bucky Thistle was named after Buckfast. Sorry, Stephen, wow. you couldn't resist it, mate. No, no, that's fine. I, I deserve it all. <laughs> Stephen's taken a lot of flack today, hasn't he? He has. He has. I, couldn't, I honestly I couldn't resist that. Sorry. Mm. That's fine. I'll get you back. Don't worry. I know you will. 
to the viewers, to the viewers who didn't quite realise, check the, the Endless Sales uh, uh, episodes on YouTube. A new one has been put up. It's a, a funny segment where Stephen, unfortunately, uh, he misunderstood the origins of Bucky Thistle. He thought it was based after the, 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 the drink. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, look, to be honest, though, Stephen has had a difficult day, but without him, this podcast wouldn't function. Genuinely mean that, Stephen. Um, you're the heartbeat of this podcast, and um, we all are. Yeah. Don't let it put you off, okay? Um, <laughs> I know I feel guilty now, Stephen. I, I can That's just all right, Stephen, I can just see Stephen on one of his like local neighborhood walks. You know, when he's on his own, walking past the sea with the sea brushing up against his face, and we're thinking they pricks, they pricks. You know, I don't like them anymore. <laughs> Don't let him put you off, okay? Um, Never. Yeah. By the way, another bit of housekeeping to the viewers. Did I not get a ball bag of the week? You are welcome to a ball bag, yes. Ball bag of the week. My ball bag of the week is Derek Adams, the Ross County Manager. I think he... It's Derek Adams, isn't it? I'm pretty sure that's his name. I think he's an absolute twat. The disrespect he's shown Scottish football since he's been back, by the way, for the third time at Ross County is and it's astonishing it really is i'm calling out the standard of the league and he has a cheek coming from morkham in league two in england and he did an interview the, the other day and he was just really sparky and he's he's just a prick it, it, it seems like to me he's trying to talk himself into getting the sack he just looks like he wholly rejects or regrets taking that job again and i hope he does get sacked he is a shambles of a man and what i've seen of him in, in his press conferences if I was a Ross County fan, I'd only, only have about 50. I'd be absolutely raging. I, I would want him out of my club as quick as, as, as can be. Shambles. So my, my ball bag of the week goes to Derek Adams, the Ross County manager, and hopefully not to be for any time in the future. That is. Um, my ball bag of the week is uh, Rishi Sunak. Um <laughs> He's a very, very small man, and every photo I see, I see of him on the news, he just gets smaller and smaller, or they keep placing really, really tall people and taller and taller people next to him. Uh, it's quite disconcerting that he's running the country. Um, so definitely not football-related. I, I just don't like Rishi Sunak. Um, a lot about housekeeping here, guys. I've not said this in months, even back in the jungle gyms. I just, like, forgot about saying this. But to any people who are actually watching this podcast who haven't yet subscribed going to do us a favor and subscribe we will really really like you we like you already but we'll like you even more if you do subscribe um it'll help the podcast and all the algorithm all that rubbish that you hear people talking about so please do that and as pam regularly says which we really appreciate if you haven't clicked the like button please do again that helps the that helps the algorithm and it helps other fellow celtic fans who have not yet been able to watch a podcast it'll be delivered to their door online um yeah so there you go Right, guys, probably wrapping up time. We've been through a lot of stuff. Um, we're probably going to end the, the podcast episode tonight well compared to the start when I just had the giggles and I couldn't let's bring two sentences together. Um, but we've been over a few fair things. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about before we wrap? Oh, Stephen, what's your favourite movie? Oh, Jesus, man. Fuck. Um... I actually don't. I, I don't know to be honest. I, I oh, I'm not really a movie buff. If if you get me, I have okay, certain. Mo- TV series. My favorite TV series at the minute. 
and I, I watched. I watched the show on Netflix called Louder Milk. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's 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 about this guy. He's like a a therapist type guy, but he's going through his own struggles in life. It's like a comedy type drama thing, and it's just really good. He's he's like an alcohol counsel advisor person does AA meetings, chairs them, but he's an alcoholic himself, and there's all different people within it, and they have their own different life stories and. It's just a, a really good Watson. If anyone, anyone's for easy Watson, Netflix, Louder Milk, get yourself a, a, a beverage, an alcoholic one if you want, and chill out and watch it. But um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I love comedy movies, Gavin. I'm, I'm big into comedy. It does things that, make, things that make me laugh, things that make me kind of chill out, and that's what I'm into the most. And like Jed said, Shawshank Redemption, all them types of movies are, are, are classics. The Rocky films I love. So yeah. I, I, I get it's a broad spectrum. It. I wouldn't have an out and out favorite, but I do go back to certain ones a few times in a year if you get me. Another really good film. I don't know if you've seen it. Is Argo based oh, on Argo the story? Yes, Ben Affleck yes. directed it and, play, yes. and plays the main character. Fantastic film. Aye, based on a true story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah Iran when they took the American hostages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Aye, aye. And they had to make up this elaborate lie that they were actors there filming and a, a, a movie or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mental, mental. Aye, crazy stuff. Um, I think as well, Inglorious Bastards are like Saving Private Ryan. And there's another film on Netflix that hasn't really been watched by many, but The Seeds of Jehutville. I don't know if any of you have seen that. About the Irish army going over on a release mission. To an African country and it turns into an absolute shit show, like a war and all kicks off but it's it's really good, it's based on a true story so I like my war films, I, I like things to do with World War 2 and things like that so yeah, there you go Good stuff, good stuff um, Stephen, do you drink Bucky when you watch Bucky Thistle who come from Bucky? You? Never ever had Buck Fast in my life Really? No, Did they even smelled it yeah, I don't live in the back hours of nowhere, Gavin. We have fuck fast on the shelves. <laughs> I, I just don't bat. I know there's people like buy, was it it's like numbers, isn't it? Like one to 20 or something. I don't know, yeah. but a few of my mates drink it, but it's it's nothing I've ever been into. Like. Fair dues. Fair dues. Right, well, I guess tonight was the, the, the first episode of the Endless Sales Expansion. It's called The Double Pivot. Now, I know that we advertised it as kind of like anything like... <clears throat> Everything and anything, no, nothing is off topic. I know that we did kind of speak primarily about football. In fact, I don't think anything really was not about football apart from uh, your, your favourite movie and maybe Rishi Sunak getting a mention. Uh, if the, the viewers think of anything that they would like to see as a regular feature for a Wednesday podcast, then please, we're, we're, you know, you guys are the kind of the lifeblood of the podcast anyway without your guys' uh, contributions then it's just three guys just talking shit to each other without without really any fun at all. So you guys make it. If there's any suggestions, any ideas that you guys have got for a Wednesday episode, let us know and we can maybe try and incorporate into next Wednesday. But thank you so, so much for all your enthusiasm for tonight. We appreciate it. It's not over time for us. It is a joy. We never um, lose, lose uh, enthusiasm for talking about Celtic. So, um, Stephen, Jed, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've got Ross County at the weekend, I guess, without lingering on it too much, because I know we're wrapping up, but is there any surprises for the lineup? Jed, do you think the team picks itself? Does Bernardo get ahead of Hitati for the midfield? And who's your wingers? For Kyogo up front, but who's your wingers? Hopefully, uh, I'd like to see. I, I would still start with Abada and Palmer, and hopefully 
Kuhn can be on the bench to make an appearance in the second half. Okay, okay. And defence uh, skills and, I don't know, is Kevin Carter-Vickers back or do you play Naroki? Who knows? Naroki, I think, is going to be, I can't say Carter. I think there's a chance we could lose Carter-Vickers over, the, over this over <laughs> By the way, talking about Naroki, a great movie is The Rock with Nicolas Cage. Loved that from the 90s. Brilliant movie. Stephen, any any um, ideas for the lineup for this weekend? I'll keep mine on the wraps because I'm on on Friday, right. so I'll keep that on the wraps. But um, I do want to make the viewers aware, like like you said, we are now on every audio platform that you can imagine, from Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Audible, Google Podcasts, all the big hitters. We're on it. This will be up on it within the next couple of hours, and it's everything's up to date. So if you're you're walking your dog, you're walking your cat. People do walk their cats, I believe. Or you're going out a walk on your own or whatever. Put in your headphones and just simply search, simply search, and the Celts, a Celtic podcast, and you'll find us on every audio platform. And guys, before before we go, just make it out there. I mean, obviously, I'm really new to the show. Um, I've enjoyed that. Even before I came on the show, I always love commenting, and you get to, you know, I can't see the comments that come up unless one of the guys put it up. So I can't see everybody's comments. Obviously, when I'm not on the show. You do, and there is loads of interaction between all the guys and the ladies that's watching. And that, to me, I really enjoy when I'm not actually on the show. I like reading all the comments and then actually commenting what other people are saying. That's, to me, that's what I love about this podcast. Thanks, Pam. Thank you. I um no, 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 brilliant, Jed. I, uh, from, from the comments perspective, it's brilliant, the, the community that's there. And I know that a lot of these guys go on other podcasts as well. And it's, you know, it's familiarity and people kind of, they're all great. They're all fucking brilliant. They're all legends. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for the support. Thanks, so we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Um, Stephen, do you want to finish the show? You're, you're Jerry Springer. I've learned something tonight sort of thing. I tell you, that's I mean... what we should do, a Jerry Springer show. You want me to answer that, or you want me to end the show? <laughs> no, no, I think it should be tradition that you always end the show. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. No problem. And as Gavin and Jed said, we greatly appreciate. It. Two hours in, we still have fifty-eight live, which is fantastic for ourselves. We'll be back Friday again at half eight with the the Friday team. Couple of drinks, couple of beverages, and we'll look forward to Ross counting the weekend. And until then, stay well, keep safe. Hail, hail. Bye, guys.